So Maria Daniels here with Successfully Chaotic, and I have a guest today, Erin Porter. Erin Porter is a visual artist that sells portraits on Etsy, and she's also a creative artist for a podcast. Can you tell us a little bit about that, Erin? So I work for um, Remember Twilight Podcast. I make stickers for their Etsy, and we're working on a big project right now that we're not quite ready to announce. And I also do, um, on my Etsy, I have a series of, of mermaid illustrations and Shakespeare posters um, from Inktober two years ago. So some of that illustration comes in, but a lot of my work is um, painting portraits for people. I love that. I know before we went on air, we discussed a little bit about your background, and you've not always been a visual artist. You actually came from the world of musical theater. That's kind of a, a different world. It's kind of in the artistic world, but it's two different things. How did that happen? What was the catalyst to kind of make you change from being in musical theater to all of a sudden being a visual artist? So I've done, I've been interested in art forever. And then when I got into high school, I kind of had to choose between art and music and ended up doing drama and band and choir in high school. And then I went into musical theater as a degree. And during that time, because they want a really well-rounded program, they have you take design classes like set design and costume design. And so you learn all about researching a project and setting it up. And also you learn about marketing yourself as an actor. And so I really feel like it gave me a good understanding of putting myself out there, marketing myself as the artist, but also it kind of gave me a basis for design and character development and those things that I try and bring into my artwork. Well, and I think that, I think you hit the nail on the head that there's so many things that with, with any degree or any type of education, whether you're self-educated or if you actually have a, a you know, degree, a lot of different layers to that exist. So, you know, a lot of times somebody will go for one thing, but they're learning all these subcategories at the same time. I actually know quite a few people myself included, that along the way, I've kind of transitioned what I wanted to do um, based on the fact that I learned this a little bit along the way, I learned that a little bit on the way, and I became intrigued from that angle of it. Um, I know I was a personal trainer. Uh, that was my first kind of grown-up job. <laughs> I was a personal trainer for years, and I'm in the mar- I'm mainly in the marketing world now, but I do have a wellness company still, but I know I ended up getting interested in the marketing world, like you said, because I was having to market myself as a trainer all the time. I was having to do, you know, graphic design work to try to you know make posters and I knew nothing about it so I'm taking these little courses on the side to try to figure out how to do my own stuff because I didn't know what to do but it allows you to um, add more skills to you know your set of skills and sometimes you uh, you become aware about the fact that you really love that other portion of it I'm hearing that from you does that sound correct mm-hmm. yeah absolutely so did you actually did you work as an actor for a while or did you just go straight into doing visual art So after I finished school, I went and worked at a garden center. Okay. Um, I worked at the garden center when I was in high school for a summer, and then I just really needed something. Me and my husband moved back to my hometown, and he's still in school. He's doing his master's right now. And so I needed something to focus on to kind of get me through the transition period while I was auditioning for things and figuring out what I wanted to do. And 
one of the things that I really got into at the garden center is they were doing the fairy gardens. Yeah. At the time they were really popular. And so I did all those displays and I really got into um, their seasonal wreath making. And I painted these paintings on pumpkins for Halloween and it was people would buy the things that I painted and these wreaths and they'd pay top dollar for them. And it really made me think that maybe this is something I could actually do. And so the transition actually happened pretty fast after it's, it's one of those things. Usually actors have things on the side that they're doing as well. They are florists and then they go to auditions or they um, personal trainers. I have a lot of friends from school who are personal trainers, um, bakers, artists. So um, actors tend to have more than one thing going on at a time. Well, it allows them to be able to make some money during the time that they're not, you know, acting and then allows them to be fluid too, where they can stop whatever it is to go pursue an acting job. And I, I mean, I see that even I've, I've never been like professional into the acting acting world, but I did do um, some in school. And then I've done some for um, our local churches, just skits and stuff. I've always enjoyed it. And I was in um, just, in the in the minors on um the musical industry for a while just doing like singing and stuff at pubs and so I mean I enjoy just kind of um being able to get up on stage and you know do something and I do public speaking as so, I mean I get that world but yes if I had to solely rely on what I made from any of those things because <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> you never know what, when they're going to come it's definitely feast and famine it's like people will come at you all at once and then there's nothing forever um, and that was before COVID. Now with COVID, I definitely would be in trouble. But um, so I'm hearing that, you know, you kind of had this aha moment where, you know, you're working at the garden center, you're working for somebody else and, you know, you've learned these skills, but you've never really tried them out on your own. So you're trying them out there at the garden center and you realize that, okay, wow, you know, people are buying this. So it almost validated, you know, that you had the talent because sometimes I think we hold ourselves back because we're like, well, you know, I'm in musical theater. You're, and I'm just guessing what you might've been thinking. I'm in musical theater. I'm not really, you know, trained to be an artist, you know, to that level. I shouldn't be doing this, that, you know, that self-talk we tell ourselves. That's how it was with me. You know, I'm like, okay, well, I'm a personal trainer. I've, yes, I've done some marketing. I've taken some little classes, but that's not my degree. <laughs> you know what I mean, uh-huh. and it, it held me back for a while. So I took a few more classes until I felt like I was validated enough. But in the meantime, I'm having people come say, here, help me with this. You come up with these out of the box ideas. And I think sometimes that idea that you have this out of the box perspective. So you learned how to design and um, create something that people were already buying before you jumped out on your own. So that aha moment, you were already kind of pre-validated. I think sometimes that that helps a lot in giving us the you know, the gumption to go ahead and try something because you, a lot of times people, I don't, I know lots of people that have Etsy accounts, they'll make something because they make it at home, but they have no idea if somebody wants to buy it, you know, no clue, Mm -hmm. you know, and they're kind of scared to put it out there. But with you having people already buying it, you were like, okay, well, I'm going to go ahead and try this. So did you find, um, starting your Etsy account and kind of going out on your own, did you find it to be a slow process, a scary process? Kind of what was the emotions involved in that? So I just opened my Etsy shop this year. Okay. And I've been working on the art for two or three years now. And after the garden center, I actually started trying to sell wreaths. Okay. And the thing that kind of, I I opened up my Instagram account and I started posting all the creative visual stuff I was doing, the potted plants at the garden center and the arrangements, the 
fairy garden displays, those things. And then I found that it was expensive to put wreaths together. They were expensive for people to buy. And I really didn't have any idea of how to ship them. And so I started to really focus on doing the art. And it was a slow buildup from um, friends and family and coworkers buying portraits for 30 bucks. Mm -hmm. And then um, it really getting going to where I'm doing bigger projects for the theater community and painting um, those, those face cut out things for yeah. high schools. And then I opened my, I finally opened my Etsy this year and I opened it probably in January or February and it started to pick up in April. And since then it's, it's been kind of as soon as I finished one project another person orders. And so it's been going pretty well as far as um, that goes, but it's been a kind of a building process for sure. Well, and I think sometimes, you you know, you mentioned about making the reefs and you're like, wait a second, how do I ship it? I, I say this a lot um, where I'm in marketing, I deal with a lot of business owners and, you know, we start businesses because of that one or two things that we do like amazing. And it doesn't necessarily mean we do the rest of amazing. And then a lot of times we figure out the problems along the way of, okay, well, wait a minute. Yes, I've got this wreath and yeah, I've got somebody wanting to buy it, but how am I going to get it there? You know, sometimes those things come up as business owners and I don't think there's any one way to prepare for something like that. I think that you have to, and this is why I tell people to kind of beta test out what you're going to do. Find a couple of friends or somebody that's willing to do it, kind of beta test it out because you're able to kind of work through the processes and, and usually you can figure out, oh, okay, well, I need to figure out, you know, how to ship it. I need to figure out how to do this. And that kind of gives you, you know, steps to take. So do you, um, with your portraits and doing a lot of things with the, you said, you mentioned the theater community, do you find that having your contacts kind of in that world where you were in musical theater for so long, do you think that's helped push your business forward? Yes. I think that one of the biggest assets I have in the theater community is I know a lot of actors and actresses who are interested in doing the modeling. Yeah. And so they they've been a real asset to me because it's helped me get into doors with other artists because I'm able to provide something to them. And so, you know, sometimes when you're looking for a mentor, you kind of have to have something to offer. Yeah. And so they've really opened a lot of doors for me that way, just knowing a lot of um, beautiful, talented people that can really know how to pose and, and work a camera and stuff. So that's been really good. And my a lot of my orders have come from the community. And I think that's great. I mean, th- that shows the importance to me. And I talk about this on the show a lot, just the importance of having a, a solid network um, because a network is an invaluable. Um, you know, my network personally, you know, has been the people that I can reach out to again, if I'm beta testing out a new service or a new product or whatever it may be to say, okay, try this out. I won't charge you. Just try it out and let me know what you think, you know, what I need to change. Also being able to get me through the doors to different places that I didn't have connections to, you know, establishing a great network, I think is huge. And I think sometimes, um, sometimes people can be so close-minded to think that whatever industry they're in now, that they only stay in that industry for the networking, but really, you know, broaden your horizons. Who else do you know? Did you like from your garden center? You never know, you know, people that you met and worked with within your garden center, 
you know, they may know somebody that you know, needs work or whatever it may be, because I, I, I get questions. I've talked about networking so often. I do get questions. Where do you find a network? Who are you around? Where do, it doesn't matter if you're working a nine to five. People there can be your network if you're starting your business out. You know, there's, there's, I think some people think network and they automatically think of the round table networking, which those are great. There's nothing wrong with those, but your network is who are you around? You know, who do they know? Can they, you know, give, uh, you know, referral? Can they, can, you know, they get you through the door? Can you get you through the gatekeeper? All of those things are huge, especially when you're starting a new business or you're starting, you know, a new service within a business or new product. Those are huge. What, what do you feel? Um, I've never, like I said, been in the artistic world professionally. I like to pretend to do art because I'm not good at it. <laughs> but what do you feel the biggest challenge is as an artist? I know we all hear the terms, you know, struggling artist and, you know, all those things. And mm-hmm. I mean, and I think that probably, in my opinion, probably comes back to the whole feast and famine thing, like I was mentioning before, about how, you know, you know, sometimes you have all these people that are wanting something and then it's just like crickets for a while. Is that kind of been your experience with it? So right now, mostly it's been fairly consistent. So I've been lucky that way, especially during this, this time where things are kind of crazy. Yeah. But I think the hardest thing is, um, is not getting in your own way emotionally because with art and theater and all that, it's all a very personal thing. And, um, you can take the criticism really hard because you, you can take it personally, even if it's not meant to be personal and the self-criticism when you're looking at your stuff or I'm working on this project for remember twilight. And Mm -hmm. I, I put so much pressure on myself that the painting really didn't turn out. It looked amateurish and I really wasn't happy with, with the composition and the colors and the flow. And I actually ended up doing it, um, two more times yeah. Because it just wasn't landing. And part of it was just easing and letting go and, and not getting too much into my head, but also doing the proper amount of prep work so that it flows easily onto the page. And so it's that balance of being super prepared, but also not holding yourself so tightly to a standard. And I think that could be said for any industry. I think exactly what you mentioned. I've worked with a lot of people in many different industries that, you know, that same thing. There is a even medium between being, um, I wouldn't say even say overprepared, but perfectionist. Cause I've, I've worked with people who is like, they have something that's really great, but they just sit on it because they keep like just trying to perfect it little bits of time. And most of the time it's, it's ends up being an issue where, you know, they've spent five years on something that should have taken five months because of like Mm -hmm. the little details that nobody is even going to notice except for them. Because again, they've gotten their own head and they've got their own idea on what it should be. But there is a, an even medium between being, you know, too overly perfectionist and just slapping out a bunch of crap. You know, there, 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 there's a sweet spot. Right. And Uh I think a lot of that comes back to, Yes, preparation, but also say, giving yourself the goals to say, okay, I'm going to do my best work. This is, you know, when it's your best work, it's your best work. And I think sometimes we end up getting in this comparison, you know, model of saying, okay, well, I did this and this is, you know, you think it's really good and you look over there and they've got something like so much better or you feel like it's so much better. So then you negative self-talk yourself into not releasing or not going forward with it. I'm working with a girl right now that she's got a coaching business and she's got, um, you know, a service 
product, whatever you would, you would want to call it, um, to teach, you know, other people something super amazing. And she's kind of been sitting on it because she keeps going, well, this one over here does this. And this one over here also has this and their website looks a bit better. I'm like, who cares? You know, get it to a certain point of where it is your best because you're comparing yourself to yesterday. You know, who were you as a business owner yesterday? Who were you as an artist yesterday? You can only perfect your own work, you know, and you can only compare your own work from yesterday. And I, I mean, I like the idea that you said, and I, I've been that person where it's like, I've done stuff two or three times because I'm just not happy with it. And I think there's a difference between I'm just not happy with it because it's really not my best work. You know, I'm holding myself back for whatever reason and I'm nitpicking myself. And I think it takes, you know, some time and some focus to figure out, you know, what, why is this not working out? I think that becomes an issue where we need to sit and ask ourselves, you know, why is this not working out? And you mentioned that, you know, it flows on, I'm not an artist, but it flows on the page better if you've got it, you know, prepared correctly. And I think noticing those little things allows you to perfect your next work because you, you figured that out. You know, you've, you've failed forward. We use the term failed forward all the time. You know, you messed up the first one, whatever. You messed up the second one, but you learned something along the way to say, okay, well, yeah, somebody could say, well, you failed two times before you got it right. Or somebody could say, what did you learn from those two times? And I think that's the biggest lesson. Exactly. Well, in theater, I, the, um, in the rehearsal process, they'd always say, don't just rehearse it again. If you're not going to find something to improve upon last time, there's no point in just going through the musical or the play over and over again. If you're not picking up on the things that you want to alter and change and move forward for the next time you do it. And I think that that applies to business and art and life is just like, as you're doing experiences, you don't want to just go into the next one blindly. You want to pull from what you've what you've already learned so that you can move forward in the, in the next project or the next process that you're doing. I absolutely agree. And I think a lot of people think of perfection as a destination and it's like a place we reach, like we get to perfection, but it's not, you know, perfection is fluid. Perfecting, you know, is a verb, you know, we are perfecting things as we go along. So we're perfecting it, you know, while we're working on it, it's not a destination. You don't reach perfection you know, and I think that sometimes we can get so hung up on that, that we, you know, kind of forget what it's all about. And that is doing our best. And like you said, finding, you know, something within what we did yesterday to improve upon. That's great. But holding yourself back because you're waiting to reach perfection, I think is where a lot of people kind of get hung up. So do you work alongside, I know you mentioned that you, um, kind of almost do um, like almost, I guess, a bartering system with some of the other artists that you kind of bring them a model or how does that work? Bring them a subject from your theater world. Like what, what is it that um, you kind of do with that? I'm all into bartering, even in the business world. So I'm kind of intrigued by that. Mm -hmm. So I, I know a couple professional artists in my area, people who are way more experienced than me and who have, and they do these live drawing sessions. Mm -hmm. And I've been able to say, okay, I'll set them up. You guys, you provide the studio and the lighting and all the expertise and I'll set up the model and do all of that, which a lot of them don't want to worry about because scheduling everyone and getting everything figured out can be frustrating. Um, But I get all that. And then a lot of times I get mentorship from these people. They look at my artwork after I'm finished and they'll, and they'll, 
give me pointers on what I'm working on. Help critique it. Exactly. And then I also get the experience of watching them pose the model and I can stand and watch them draw. Mm -hmm. And for the little bit of effort that I put in, I get a lot back from that. And I, it almost works as a mastermind then. So, you know, in the business world, we talk about masterminds and typically you've got a small group of people who look at each other's work, look at each other's business, look at each other's, you know, whatever it is, and we critique it, you know, and you have to make sure that the relationship is there. Like you mentioned earlier, you have to be able to take constructive criticism because you have to realize that, you know, the whole point of this is for them to find, you know, the flaws because they're, everybody's got flaws. And the mm-hmm. whole point of having a mastermind to have this group is for them to say, well, this is good. It's not that it's not good. But again, if you're not perfecting it, if you're not looking to one up, then what's the point in even doing it tomorrow? You know, so, you know, having, so it sounds like to me that that's kind of like your way of kind of in the art world, masterminding. So, uh-huh. you know, you're, you're not only learning from them because they're at, at a, I guess, a higher level maybe than you are at that point in time, but you're also gaining the knowledge of how to perfect, how to better, you know, your project, you know, for the future. And I, and I love that. And I think those type of things are super, super important. So as far as um, blooming artists, I, I mean, I hear people say, I'm an artist all the time. What are some tips? If somebody is, no matter what industry they're in now, maybe they just have a love for art. What would be some tips that you would give them on how to kind of get their foot in the door? Like, should they go to school? Should they take online classes? Should they do both? Does it depend on their personality? You know, what would be some tips? If somebody's listening today going, I've always loved art and I just love to do this. And I would love to know how do I perfect my skill? You know, how, what, what, what would you tell them? I listen to a lot of art podcasts and things like that. And the biggest thing they say is, um, you don't need to go to art school, especially now they, they imply that it's a lot of money for possibly not getting the education that you want or need for the, for the career. And um, an example of that is if you're going to spend the money going to a university, you could spend less money than that to pay a master to teach you themselves and you'd get more out of that experience. So where's the best place to find those? Like if they're like, oh, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming you can't just call like 1-800-MASTER-ART. <laughs> Where would be, that would be cool. But what would be the best way to, for somebody to find those people? So a good way to start, I learned a lot of my base fundamentals on YouTube. Okay. Watching um, the channel Proco. Okay. Run by Stan Prokopenko. And he has this vast collection of videos tutorials about how to do anatomy and the structure of the face and things like that and I found there's a lot of a lot of resources available to you there and when you when you go to those videos a lot of times they have subscription options for their actual courses that link back to their websites and so you could pay to get more education from them and you find out those those masters are and you look up the styles that you're interested in and when you look them up on youtube you can connect with those artists you could shoot them an email and and 
ask them a question or try and get in to talk to them. You know, they talk about having something to offer someone. And so I'm lucky enough to have the models. And so is there something that you have that you can, some publicity or a following or, or a talent so that eventually you can help publicize them and they can say that they were your teacher. And so, yeah, I think I've gone off on a tangent. No, I think that is great advice. I mean, I really do because, you know, again, there's only so many hours in a day and if, you know, if somebody is going to be helping somebody with something, it's literally taking time out of their day. You do have to have something to bring to the table. Um, you know, I think sometimes, and I've, I've found this even in, you know, my, especially in my wellness company world, you know, I don't mind somebody contacting me because I'm a nutritionist. Um, I used, used to be a trainer too, but I'm a nutritionist. They'll contact me and ask me a question about this supplement or this, or, you know, they're having heartburn. What should they do? You know, little stuff like that. Fine. You know, I don't charge them for that, but you know, I have had, especially with people that are close to me <laughs> to where, you know, they want to just pump me for information all day long. It's not that I don't want to give it, but when I'm spending an hour talking to you, about your health needs. Mm-hmm. That's an hour that I'm taking away from my kids, taking away from my husband, taking away from the things that I need to be doing. And, you know, I think sometimes there needs to be that understanding to say, yes, I want to give back. I'm one of those people that I want to help and I want to give back, but there's only so many hours in a day. And I say a lot of these artists are the same way. They have families, they have personal lives. So I think to expect them to just give everything in a big freebie, you know, I think that's, the, you know, I think that's a disservice to, uh, in your own mindset and a disservice to them as well. So think about what do you have to offer? I, again, I mentioned earlier, I'm all for bartering. You know, uh-huh. there has been times where I needed help with something and it's like, okay, well, you got this skill. I've got this skill. Let's barter it out. Neither of us have the cash that we want to push into it, but how can we barter this out? And I think uh-huh. bartering is the way that, especially when you're new in the business, I think that's the way to move forward and get the things done that you need to get done more quickly. So, you know, if you're an artist and you're wanting to get, you know, up, you know, up your skills or get a little better at what you're doing, you know, figure out what it is that you have. What are some other soft skills that maybe you have that you can offer this artist to be able to have them even consider you know, doing something with you? And it can mm-hmm. be said for the business world too. You know, if, if, if like, in, like marketing, I've had people come to me and said, okay, well, I can't afford to hire you to do my marketing, but I'm great with bookkeeping. I can work on your books. And I'm like, amazing. Cause I suck at that <laughs> uh-huh. so bad. I can tell, I, I can tell you what's on my checking account, but I can't tell you nothing else. You know what I mean? I'm, that is not mm-hmm. my jam, you know? And I think figuring out your superpowers, figuring out your sweet spots, I think can help you figure out what it is that you do have to offer, even if they don't, you know, you don't know other people, what is it that you have? What's some soft skills you have to help you get your education or your skills or your business to the next level? So you made a big change. I want to kind of like rewind. You made a Uh big change, obviously going from the musical theater world to, you know, becoming an artist and having an online shop. It's two different worlds. Yes. Um, How would you, if somebody's deciding to make a big change like that, Change can be overwhelming for some people. Um, some people embrace it and some people freak out about it and panic about it and then regret even doing it for you know, a while. And then there's some people that's in between. Like, can you explain to us kind of emotionally, like how you went through it all? And if somebody's thinking about making a big change, maybe some advice you would have for them. I know that kind of puts you on the spot. That's a big question. No, you're good. <laughs> Let me think for just a second. You're fine. It's. 
because it didn't feel like a giant change to me. Okay. It felt like, I, I wonder sometimes, I, I've listened to your first, um, in your first couple episodes of the podcast, you talk about all the different things that you're involved in and you're switching yeah. back and forth between things. And I found that these are two things that really kind of marry well together. And so it, it never was really leaving the theater or music world, but just putting it on a shelf. Yes while I focus on this and I do find I have less time to audition for things, especially now my shop's open. The priority is definitely getting the art career up and going and it's hard to put aside the other passion and the other want, but I think you have to focus on the thing that's on your plate right at the time. I 100% agree. And I think you hit the nail on the head when you were talking about priorities. I think you mentioned my early episodes, you know, there, there for a while, I was struggling with trying to figure out, okay, well, I like, I do all these things. and I like all these things. But as I started to, some of the areas started to grow, I was having a hard time doing all the things. Like when I first started, it was like, they were all babies anyway. You know, I mean, it was all, I mean, I was, didn't have much time into it. So it was, it was fun. I could just like, cause I'm very, I'm very much the person that doesn't like to do the same thing every day. That's just my personality. Uh -huh. So I was able to kind of be in my own world of saying, I'm going to do this today. I'm wearing this today. I'm doing, and, and it worked while it was small and I didn't have a lot of people in each of those worlds. And then as it started to grow and I started getting more people, I started to feel the pressure of doing all the things because, you know, it, you, I could not effectively, you know, run each of those businesses separately. And I had to do much like you said, and pick a focus. And I think that's a good advice. You know, right now you mentioned that your priority is your shop. And I think from what I've learned over, you know, years of kind of doing this now, uh, is, you know, sometimes our priorities will change. You know, our prior, my priorities as far as like my husband and my family, my kids or whatever, that doesn't change. But my priorities within what business element I'm focusing on definitely changes. You know, mm -hmm. sometimes my consulting coaching company is definitely, you know, my focus because I've got so much that I need to do within that area. And that's where the money's coming in. And then it may kind of dry up a little bit and people aren't needing stuff. And then my wellness company starts to pick up and I start focusing more. And I think that is a benefit of having these multiple revenue streams. I'm a big fan of multiple revenue streams. We've seen it this year with COVID <laughs> uh -huh. that it's super important to have something to fall back on. I've always been a fan of that anyway, um, because the market is so all over the place on what, you know, uh, what people are kind of going for and what their focus is and that, that change what your changes, what your focus is sometimes. So mm -hmm. I think I love that you said that, that, you know, sometimes you have put that on a shelf that I'm not giving up my, you know, musical theater. I still love it. But right now this is taking my focus. I'm having to give this my focus and you never know what next year brings. Maybe it'll switch and you could have your shop on automation and you're able to go, you know, do your musical theater again. And I like the idea that you're kind of keeping those options open because I think sometimes people think, well, I don't want to choose. I love this so much and I don't want to leave it, but they also feel the drive and the push to go do something else. And, you know, I don't think it has to be either or. I mean, you can't effectively most of the time focus hard on, you know, multiple things, but I think that you can put things on the shelf. I do I, I agree with that 100%. So, as far as um, if somebody wanted to reach out to you and they're like, oh, I'd really love for you to do my portrait or, or maybe even do some other type of creative artwork, is the best place to reach you through your Etsy stores or somewhere else that you prefer people to reach out to you? So Etsy is the best. Okay. I, yeah, I think that that's the, 
or possibly my website. I'm still getting it up and running um, since things have picked up. My husband has started to switch it over. So it's kind of, it's kind of in between things right now. So yeah, Etsy's the best place okay. to get a hold of me right now. And so do you, do you give quotes? Is that, how, how does that usually work? Is if somebody has a project they're wanting to do, do, you, do they just contact you through Etsy to give the project and then you can give them an estimate on how much it would cost? Uh, is that how so if, the, okay. if there's, um, if they're looking for a specific portrait, sometimes okay. I already have listings on Etsy. Okay. And so within, if they want a one person watercolor portrait, they can go to my Etsy and find that listing. And in that listing, it has three different options for sizes and each size has a different price. Okay. So you've and got usually, it simple. <laughs> yes. Usually what people do is they'll message me beforehand and show me the picture that they want worked on and kind of tell me what they're looking for and see if it's something that we want to work on together. And then they can order it through that. And if it's not something that I have listed, I've had people message me through there and we figure it out outside of the shop and figure out how much it would cost or if it's something that's worth both of our time, things like that. Which I think is a good point because this is another thing we talk a lot about that not all money is good money. You know, not every client is for you. And I think especially early on, we're just like, oh, you're going to pay me to do that. Okay. So we take anything and everything, but you know, as you go on, you figure out the projects and the clients and you know, the things that just take so much of our time that it's not worth it. And I think that is a skill. I don't know that you can learn. I think it's something you just got to learn as you go along that you can mm-hmm. kind of see it coming. Like this is not, and I've had to tell people, you know, this, this sounds like a great project. I'm going to give you the contact of another person who may be interested, but at this time I'm not, you know, and you know, to some people they're like, Oh, gasp, you know, you're going to, you know, give away this money. You're not going to take their money. But to me, it's almost like dirty money because I don't feel like I'm going to be able to do my best job on it. Mm-hmm. So I don't want the money, you know, it's not, it's not a fit. And it may be, you know, personality wise, I could tell it's going to be hard or it might be the project is like, technically I can do it, but it's not completely in my wheelhouse, you know? And I think mm-hmm. you, you, you saying that, I think that is another thing to kind of have people take away is, you know, what are some tips that you would have? And it could be for the art world or for just business in general that you would tell people, how do you determine if it's a project that's right for you? So I, I thought about this and with choosing, with auditioning for roles and being offered projects and, and work, is it, is it getting me closer to the type of work that I want to ultimately be doing? Or is it, is it adding something to my resume that doesn't get me where I want to be? They say, if you want to be a character designer, don't post a bunch of background scenes because then you're going to get asked to do background scenes and that's not going to get you closer to where you want to be. And so I, I think that part of it is if, you know, lots of times right now I do take a lot of, of what people are asking me to do because, Mm -hmm. but I think the biggest deciding factor is it's, is it going to take up too much time and be too much effort for something that doesn't get me closer to my ultimate goal. And I think that's huge. And I I did the same thing early on when I left my, my corporate job. And I went, I started freelancing before I even started my company. 
But, you know, then I would do anything. I'm like, okay, I need to pay my bills. You'll pay me to do that. Cool. You know, it's legal. That's all I need to know. As long as it's legal, we're good. You know, uh-huh. I can do it. You know, and there'd be times where it'd be something that I'd never done before. And I would tell them, okay, I've never done this before. So you're going to be, you know, my guinea pig on this. I'll give you a really great price. But I would, I would learn about it at the same time and be able to make a little bit. And they were saving money because they wasn't hiring, you know, the expert in it. They were getting somebody that kind of was just, could figure it out, you know, and, you know, it worked out well early on, but as you, because cash flow is obviously an issue when you first start out, so you're just like uh-huh. needing that to happen, but as you go, go along, I think you're right on the fact that you need to look at your time. Time is also um, currency, you know, it really is. You only have so much time, so you got to think, okay, well, if I'm taking on this job at, that's not, you know, moving me forward, as you said, and that can be within the art world or it could be within the business world because it's the same thing when we were talking about this if it's not getting me we, me to where I'm wanting to be if it's not significantly adding to my cash flow in a way that I need you know how much of these projects can I take because that for me you know the number got smaller and smaller it would start out like that was all I was doing I was pretty much like the go-to for oh you can't afford somebody else well I guess you're getting me <laughs> type of thing uh-huh. to moving my way up you know, as I gained more skills and more skills and more skills, I was able to kind of be a little more particular. And I think sitting down, like we, we know to sit down and like budget our money, right? We know that we only have so much money. Well, we only have so much time. So I think we need to budget our time. And if our goal is to start doing, you know, these projects that we don't have right now, we have got to start blocking out that amount of time to practice on it or to, research it or to try to find it because if we just fill our calendar up with all these projects that's not within what we're wanting to do we're never going to have the time we're just never Mm -hmm. going to and I think that's hard it's that I always call it like like the teenage years of business because you know you get at the newborn stage it's so cute and you're like yes I've got a business and then you know the the you know the early baby times is like you're just trying to keep it alive and feed it enough and then you you hit the teenage years where you're kind of making some money but you need to grow but you're kind of in this like weird limbo that to grow you need more time and money you know but you don't have the time or money because you are booked. So it's like trying to make that plan. And even if it's, you know, starts out very small with one hour a week or, you know, and you just slowly add to it. I think figuring out that way of, of the idea of budgeting again, your money, saving money, it's the same thing with saving time, start to put back a little, start to block out a schedule to be able to help you reach your goals. And that's how I did it. And I mean, I'm not, 100% to where I want to be, but I get closer and closer all the time. And, and that's the best advice that I could give is literally start looking at budgeting your time, just like you budget your money. Mm-hmm. So, okay. We mentioned that the best way to reach out to Erin um, is at her Etsy shop. Can you give the name of your Etsy shop? That way everybody has it. It's Erin Porter Art. All right, Aaron Porter Art. And in the show notes, I'll have a link that you could just click right through to go to see what's on um, at her Etsy page. And if you want a project done, reach out to her and you all can chat. And I guess if you're her right client, she'll, <laughs> she'll, do, <laughs> she'll do it for you. If not, then I guess yeah, you're out of luck and you'll have to find somebody else. But um, I really enjoyed having you on today and I wish you all the luck in the world. And I'll have to look up. I haven't even heard of that uh, podcast, Remember Twilight. There's so many podcasts out there. I'll have to look it up. And so, yeah, you all could check out Remember Twilight. Aaron's been doing some of the artwork for that and give them a, a shout out. So it was great having you on. Great, thank you. Thank you so much. I'm not today, swerving on these chickens, cluck out my lane, I'm a boss. Out my 